1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Andrew Child and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast a companion piece to the Routledge Press publication 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to Routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Chapter 30, Cats, and with us today is author of that chapter, Stephen Mohannon. Stephen Mohannan has worked in theater as both a performer and playwright. For creating Asparagus asparagus slash Growl Tiger in Cats, he was a Tony Award nominee, and his account of rehearsing that original production was published as A Cat's Diary. His Broadway debut was opposite Linda Ronstadt and Kevin Kline in The Pirates of Penzance, and he later starred as Captain Hook opposite Kathy Rigby. He was co-author and starred as Al Jolson in two off-Broadway productions of Jolson and Company. Between engagements, he wrote and published the novel, Scarpia's Kiss. Stephen, thank you so much for being here with us today. Glad to do it. So I would love to hear a little bit from you. For those who maybe haven't gotten their hands on the book yet, haven't read the chapter. Why do we care about Cats? What makes it a key
0: musical? hmm well there are really a lot of ways to answer that question so let me pick one for openers and because <laughs> sure. uh, i think one of the things that we chose to emphasize in the book that was mm-hmm. that was an interesting question for me to consider after i mean the show opened in ninth, uh, october 1982 mm-hmm. so i'm talking about look, literally looking back uh wow 40 years is that possible yeah yeah wow, wow. And um, so in those 40 years, one of, the thing that's, one of the things that's happened to musical theater, and Katz was a very important contributor to this, is um, the, the establishment of a brand name
1: for musicals
0: uh, uh, with, a, with incredibly strong visual advertising. Mm-hmm. And that was really, you know, I mean, I'm remembering vividly the first time I saw uh, stretching across the whole, the block from 50th to 51st Street. Mm-hmm. On Broadway and Seventh Avenue in New York was this gigantic billboard of for Cats, and it was just like a solid black background with the two big yellow eyes in the middle of it, and just the word Cats scribbled in a kind of white graffiti style of lettering. Um, and you know that that eventually that that uh, image became known around the world. Mm-hmm. In a way that I, you know, I mean, up until the great big hit musicals, Chorus Line, um, uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I'm thinking of the shows that, that Cats eventually ran longer than. Mm-hmm. Um, the old, you know, the the old record holders had been uh, Chorus Line, was actually the longest running show that Cats then surpassed. And and you know, I, I mean, try to think of a of a visual image for Chorus Line. That would have global significance, and you don't—you don't really, right? Um, it didn't stick in quite the same way. It's certainly not true for Fiddler on the Roof, um, because also because there were so many different versions of it, in the movies and so on. Mm-hmm. But when 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 Cats um, held the stage alone, long, you know, years before they did the movie version, mm-hmm. um, you could instantly recognize it by that, and that's something that changed the nature of musical theater advertising. Mm-hmm. Certainly commercial theater on where Broadway is concerned. So apart from the questions of, wow, how did anybody ever make a musical out of the poems of T.S. Eliot in uh-huh. the first place? Uh, Let all the things, the things that the show achieved artistically, um, there was also this question of as, as a commercial enterprise, it has been unmatched up in its day up to that time. So that that, too, is a very important thing to consider, since Broadway is, after all, a commercial enterprise.
1: Which I think your chapter is so successful because you were there, because you were living it. You really bring us into this moment of coming up out of the subway, I believe you describe Uh and seeing that billboard. And of course, we have to go back to that world uh, because now we're used to. The Phantom of the Opera billboard doesn't even say the words Phantom of the Opera anymore. It's just black with the little white mask. And we know what that is. But it is so important to think that we wouldn't have the image of the sad girl in front of the French flag for Les Mm -hmm. Mis. Or we wouldn't have Mm -hmm. all these things that are so iconic without what you're describing with the cat's logo. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more because... A Cat's Diary. I think I've read that book, your book that goes more in depth about the rehearsal process. It brings so much to life and it's just moment after moment of surprise. And I'd love to know a little bit more about what made you want to sit down and have that be published.
0: Well, I can actually, um, I can I can answer the question. Of what made me sit down and write it? Okay. Um, in two words, Nicholas Nickleby. Oh. Um. Essentially, because essentially um, the year before Cats went into rehearsal, um, I was still doing Pirates of Penzance on Broadway, mm-hmm. that revival. Um. Uh. You know, that the started in the Delacorte in the, in the summer of 1980, and then and transferred to Broadway with Linda Ronsat and Kevin Klein, Rex Smith etc mm-hmm. etc et you know wonderful wonderful hit show in its own right um while that was while that was running um nicholas the royal shakespeare company production of nicholas nickleby came to new york after being an enormous hit in england mm-hmm. with the rsc um it was a two-part evening Two, or you could see it on two separate nights or you could see it all in one day on the matinee mm-hmm. day and you know i actually i'm confessing i think the statute of limitations is closed after four years, but oh I played God. hooky basically Oh wow. um, and called in with an excuse so that I could add to pirates and, and missed a day. So that i could actually go see Nicholas Nickleby. Oh, yeah. wow. Yes, I know. There goes my career. Oh, well, <laughs> but it was um, uh, it was so worth it. It was, you know, I mean, it was one of those shows in the first 15 minutes, you knew that um, you were in for an, an incredible experience, experience mm-hmm. in the theater. And, um, so what interested me most about when Cats was announced it was coming to Broadway, and when, in fact, when I was cast in it, um, was the idea of working with Trevor Nunn as a director. Mm. Uh, Trevor, in collaboration with John Carrad, who the two of them then went on to do Les Mis, mm-hmm. but their first collaboration in, in their years as the, working at the Royal Shakespeare Company was Nicholas Nickleby, this incredible piece of total theater. Mm. Uh, and I just thought... Um, I was once always cast in Cats and, and had actually auditioned a couple of times for Trevor uh, and thought he was a, obviously very clearly intelligent, genial, and a re- wonderful, wonderful, fascinating, brilliant man. I thought, well, just for my own purposes, I'm going to write down, I'm going to take notes on what rehearsals are like with him, because I bet I'm going to learn a hell of a lot as an actor. Oh, wow. This guy who's at that point had directed almost every Shakespeare play in the canon already. Mm. starting out as a wunderkind at the Royal Shakespeare company back in the 1960s. So, um, yeah, I just said every day I'm going to write down what happened here because I want to remember. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not, I had no intention of publishing it at all until years, years later, as a matter of fact, (laughs) um, once during rehearsal, Trevor actually caught me writing in my journal. Uh Uh-huh. And he grabbed the book out of my hands and he said, what is this? Is this a journal? He said. And I said, yeah, Uh, this was pretty obvious. Um, and he, and he wouldn't give it back to me. He he said, and he said, until I promised that I would not publish it.
1: Oh, wow. And
0: and what I realized, what, what, so this was actually right, right then and there in 1982, in the summer of 82. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not until many, many years later that I realized that a guy who had done something similar with the production of Nicholas Nickleby, that is to say, kept notes of the rehearsals, had published it as a book which both Trevor and John Caird thought was not entirely truthful.
1: Okay. And, And
0: they tried to, I think, I don't know if they tried to what they tried to do about the publication of this book, but they were very angry about it, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, the book was published. I have a copy of it myself. Okay. Um, you know, I read it avidly. and thought, wow, this is amazing. But, you know, Trevor said, I do, absolutely do not permit you to do this with cats. So I said, well, look, I never even thought of it. Never imagined that anybody would want to read it. And, and then when the show was on the verge of closing mm-hmm. um, back in 2000, back in 2000 that's a funny thing to say but <laughs> um when i think of how much as a little boy i had thought wow i'm going to live to see the year 2000 that oh, was actually really? something wow. that yeah that occurred to me very early in life and i thought that's going to be cool now of course eh, 2000 eh, yeah so what? well when do we start calling it when do people start saying 2009 you know instead of 2009 in any case I digress. Um, But just before the show was about to close, I was having lunch with um, some of the production staff on the Jolson Company show that was getting ready, Mm -hmm. and um, the 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 publicist said, "You know, it would be Cats is getting ready to close. It would be wonderful. Do you have anything original you could say about the show that because all the media is looking for something to say about Cats that hasn't already been said." Hmm. And I said, well, actually, I kept, a dur- I kept a journal of all of the rehearsals. Uh, and they said, oh, you sh- you've got to get this out in print. People are going to want right away before the show closes. Uh huh. Um, and so he directed me to uh, a, a, a Playbill Online, I think, dot playbill.com. And they, you know, they read a couple. Of, I mean, all of this was handwritten hmm. back in the day when people, you know, wrote cursive. perhaps you're too young to have ever done it but yeah you know this is when people actually held a pen in their hands and wrote down you know long long sentences wow and um i said you know they said they would like to read it i said you have to be able to read fortunately my handwriting is pretty good okay because i said you know there's you know i'm not having i'm not going to bring anybody in to type this out it's just you know what i wrote I'll give, send you Xerox copies. Well, they did. They could read it. They said, this is wonderful. We want to print it. Um, and then Smith and Krause called me up and said, uh, is there more than what than Playbill published? And I said, yeah, there's a, every single day of rehearsal from the first one till the day Trevor left back to go back to England right after he opened. Wow. Um, and I said, but I think I need to, if you're going to publish it, I need to clear with him that it's okay. Mm. Because, I mean, I don't know how much he would care about a promise that I had, you know, 20 years earlier. Right. As it turned out, he not only didn't mind, but he wrote the preface to the book. Right. Okay. Um, you know, which was very delightful of him, and considering I guess he must have read it and decided that it was truthful mm-hmm. um, or truthful enough, given that, you know, it was filtered <laughs> through my, my particular consciousness. Right. So there, you know, you would... Um, uh, you, you know, you wouldn't know necessarily that there were other people in the show besides me. <laughs> whatever, it. You whatever, know, whatever. You know, it was like there's all this yada, 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 Then my line, you know, unfortunately. I, some of it reads like that. But after all, you know, I was working with this guy and creating a new character um, for the show, not just because they had done Gus the Theater Cat in London, but not Growl Tiger. That was a whole new scene that was added because they liked my audition and they knew that I could do a big operatic parody with a really big operatic tenor voice. And um, so it was written uh, during the course of rehearsals.
1: So what was it like to create this character with Trevor Nunn?
0: It was wonderful. I was really one of the the greatest lessons I ever had in in acting because he was, um, you know, the wonderful thing about his direction style is that it's, very quiet, you know, he's not at all bombastic. Um, in the entire time of, of in the months that we worked on this show together, I only ever heard Trevor raise his voice once. and that was during Tech week and there was a whole, you know, and, and there was a whole lot of different stuff going on. We were actually in the, in the winter garden and a lot of people were, were doing stuff for their various departments. Mm-hmm. and trevor all of a sudden you know in a voice that carried through the entire room trevor says i want quiet and i want it now and i i remember it vividly because i had never ever heard him speak so loudly wow uh, needless to say he got his car qui- he got he got his quiet immediately <laughs> okay. um uh that's one of the things about you know speaking softly is that when you do bring out the big stick everybody notices mm. um so there was uh Uh, there there was just his style of of working and then the intimate style with working with me on Gus was, there were lots and lots of questions. Um, And in fact, his assistant director uh, took me aside one day and because we were just talking, we were basically having coffee once. I think the show had already opened. Okay. And, And, you know, she started telling me things about Trevor's directing style that were interesting to me that she said, you know, one thing's about Trevor is that whenever an actor was not giving him the performance that he hoped for, Mm -hmm. that he was looking for. And remember, we're still in rehearsal at this point, but Trevor would she quoted him as always saying, why can't I find the key? Which I thought was a really, really interesting thing for a director to ask themselves. Mm. It's not about why isn't the actor getting it? It was why can't I find the key? Why? And I think in my case, at some point he found the key. Okay. He, he figured out what he could say to me um, that would spring open mm. literally a new, an, an, an insight into this character that would help me do something that I was not yet achieving. And, you know, after all this time, I can't pin down specifically what was the discovery I made, okay. but I know it was because of him asking that kind of question, him always going after there's something more there's something more you could, you could bring to it this, you know, and, and he never made it seem like my fault. It was always encouraging encouragement. It was, yeah, we can, you know, go further into this. Go, you know, I think there's a um, boy who is, was it was a Uda Hagen, some, some great theater teacher always said, go for, go forward. You have to go. F- oh, Stella Adler, okay. always go forward. You've always got to go forward, meet the role, meet the character. Don't wait for them to meet you. Explore. And Trevor was great, great at exploring, including. And I remember, you know, specific things like you can't really, you know, you wave your finger in the air, you know, with with your index finger up, you know, to make a point, which is that human beings always do that. Uh But when did you ever see a cat do that? (laughs) You know, and, you know, you could be a smart ass and say, well, when did you ever hear a cat sing? Hmm. You, you know, but the point is within, you know, you set up a certain set of rules for, all right, these, we're, we're playing cats, what does that mean? And one of them is find a gesture that's not a specifically a recognizably human gesture that can somehow maybe convey the same emotion the same, um, um, you know, the same forcefulness and the same emphasis, you know, but without using that, that good old index finger. That- that we all use all the time. And it was just interesting to start thinking in that kind of way about playing a non-human character, who never, and then we're not even talking about Growl Tiger, which was brand new. There was like, it wasn't even a, you know, at least on the London version, I could listen to the old, the Gus the Theater Cat number on the cast album and hear hear how the number went. Mm But the, the growl tiger scene hadn't been written until sometime into rehearsal, several weeks, actually. I mean, it came very late in the process that I was really scared stiff. I reached, I think I'd, I'm sure I talk about it in the in the journal because I would have talked to myself that way when I got home from rehearsal and going, you know, right. when is it going to get, when are they going to stage my scene? Because it's going to be really, hard. it's going to be really hard. And I don't know um, if I'm going to have enough time to work on it. I mean, come on. Mm um but they you know it depended on a very elaborate new set piece being constructed that there's no point in trying to stage you know growl tagger on his pirate ship with a three deck pirate ship uh-huh. um if there wasn't something actually there we had never you know have a duplicate for it in rehearsal because i think you know again they still weren't clear on how they were going to decide it so you know at some what point it all finally came together uh-huh. i think maybe 10 days before the first preview Wow. Something that close that they finally said, okay, now we're going to rehearse the growl tiger number. Uh, What do you want to do here? And Trevor came Mm. up with, had a scenario and Jillian had a scenario and Andrew was writing the music. I mean, everybody was waiting for the other one to move first. Okay. Um, You know, especially me, I'm sitting there going, well, all right, listen, I know how to sing the song, but like, what's the action. Mm. And, um, But the amazing thing about, again, I can, it always comes back to this tremendous skill and human sensitivity that Trevor Nunn had, because, um, he just always, even when things were looking kind of scary, he always instilled a very deep sense of confidence in me personally about that number, you know, and he says, we're going to get to it. We're going to give you all the time you need, you know, don't worry about it. Just, you know, uh, Let us, you know, we'll tell you when we're going to be ready to do it. And they did. And they were. And um, then it turned out to be loads of fun. Uh, You know, I'd I'd had so much anxiety about when are we going to do this? Uh That when it got to the part of being, oh, this is really, this is fun. Oh, I've got this wonderful playground to run around on. This, Mm. you know, intimidating three-decker pirate ship. as as actually oh yeah sure I'll run up the stairs and back down and up and down and then yell. why not three times you know (laughs) um so it it just suddenly turned in because he had managed to really dispel anxiety as every possible occasion that really is the way he worked you know and there's so many theater people who kind of thrive on anxiety Mm. but to work with the director who's like you know it's going to be fine Just, you know, do your best and I will help. And it's all, and it went, you know, my God, it was, I mean, the opening night was such an incredible experience. Did you By that point, there has been so much publicity. Everybody was waiting for Cats to open. It was like the
1: big show of the year. Did you feel relieved that opening night was a success after you've been spreading about this new number? Sorry.
0: But no, because- Sorry, I I'm losing your
1: sorry, um, your audio. D- did you feel relieved that opening night was a big success after the anxiety leading up to this new number being added in?
0: Yeah. I'm um, I mean, even I mean even before opening night we ha- um, I mean from the, I think we had we might have had a my, we might have even had two weeks of previews, which is very unusual for those days. Um, but Trevor kept on working on things and Jillian kept working on things and they did keep making little changes. Plus, I mean, it was, it was technically like nothing anyone had ever seen on Broadway, just in terms of the lighting cues and the tricks that the set could perform, Mm. the amazing kind of hydraulic, hydraulic equipment that was used to move things around. Um, so we had a lot of, we had, they worked on, you know, and previews were full of changes and constant adaptation and stuff. Um, and a lot, but by, by the time, I mean, audiences loved it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um people just had, you know, and mainly it was, it really was as predicted, like nothing anyone had ever previously seen. Um, not just, you know, all of these like, you know, actors with fabulous, you know, dancer physiques running around in unitards. Um you know, you must never forget that element in Cats. It was, right. You know, certainly, you know, it sold to a lot of audiences. Um, but it also was, it turns out that this, this wonderful score. I, my favorite of all of Lloyd Weber's scores. I just think there's just one wonderful tune after another. And audiences were responding so positively. Um, and people were responding very positively to the Growl Tiger number, especially. It really, okay. it really seemed to work. So that... Um, by opening night, you know, Trevor was, was standing at the bottom of the Winter Garden stairs, I remember, on opening night. And as every actor came down, because um, all of the dressing rooms were up this one first flight of stairs, um, and as every act person came down, he said, uh, you know, he stopped each one and said, all right, let's see, what's my, uh, what's my word to you for tonight? Or what's, you know, and, and when he got to me, he actually said, uh, all right, what are you... Uh, Said, what are you thinking about tonight? And I said, let me at him. which is ex- <laughs> I mean, that was exactly the way I felt it was like it had been going so well uh-huh. in that I just said, just let me get out there and do it. You know? mm. and, and he said, but it was wonderful, you know, and I mean, you know, because I mean, my enthusiasm was was limitless at that point. And he picked up on it. Uh, but he also said, I remember he said. I have one word for you. simplify." And he said that frequently during, in rehearsal as well. So, you know, lately I think he had stopped saying it because I guess I had been simplifying. And he was pleased with what I was doing, but as one last word to consider before stepping out on opening night, it was simplify. And, you know, I realized that I'm the kind of actor who has a tendency to over elaborate, you know, every opportunity. uh you know i think on some level every actor likes showing off mm-hmm. and i had uh not a, i shouldn't say every i mean i know i've actually i've known actors who were remarkably skillful and talented and with de- deep emotional range and and uh you know possibilities but they were very personally shy and you know quite the but i was let me add him is sort of a pretty good motto for me at the, in general and for to remind to be reminded by someone like a director that i respected so much revered really just said simplifies like okay right i've got to remember not to work too hard mm. um, and so that was and an opening night was just a smash and, and i mean the most some of the most famous people you could imagine mm. right well, it's, it's history
1: yeah opening yeah. night and that show and here we are and it may they're yeah, still talking about it.
0: Yeah. And I think it's still touring somewhere. Oh, wow. So uh, have you, well, who knows after the pandemic, but you know, right, right. Yeah. You know,
1: have you been able to go back and see either some of the more recent tours or the more recent Broadway revival?
0: I did see the the last Broadway revival and I saw in the course of the, of the run, um, there were they on certain occasions. I know when, ta- when Cats, obviously, a closing night,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but long before that, when Cats first surpassed the when it became the longest running musical, when mm-hmm. the night that Cats surpassed the chorus line, mm-hmm. um, they threw a big party and everybody from the original cast was invited was was in the audience. Actually. Oh, cool! Um, uh, so there was that, and we were all in the audience for the closing night. Okay. and we were uh, you know or as many people that they could who were available and we could bring, you know could make it and we're there um and there was oh yes there's the night that um on this ninth anniversary the night the the, the the nine years after opening night so that would have been what 91 october mm-hmm. over 1991 uh, cameron mcintosh threw this gigantic nine lives party oh okay um, I mean, right. I mean, it was it was the, the a pretty mild excuse for throwing a gigantic party. Yeah, why wait for time? Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> One shrugs and goes, "Yes, cats have nine lives." I get it. Um, it turned and turned it ran twice that long. It ran eighteen years as a matter of fact. Wow! But there was a big. I mean, opening on the night of the ninth anniversary, they took over all of the downstairs of Rockefeller Center. Oh, every single wow. every restaurant, every mall facility had been turned into something special room for the cats party. So, I mean, you know, he was spending a lot of money on it. It was so, but it was amazing to come see the show, but then I saw the show, you know, I broke my foot um, oh. early on. Like I, I think the show opened in, in October and the week of Thanksgiving um, I broke, uh, I had a hairline fracture on uh, the side of my left foot, mm. which was the result of an accident of, of how a stagehand had, Lifted me from, there was a, the, the growl tiger scene ended with me jump, literally walking the plank mm-hmm. from, from the audience's point of view, jumping off this ship. And I jumped into a big pile of mattresses hmm. that were suspended from a kind of a net bag from the back, the rear part of the, the rear of the set. Mm-hmm. And once I was safely in that net bag, a, a stage had two stage heads actually had to lift me out of it to get me back onto the stage floor to come back for the final scene as uh, the final moment of Gus, the theater cat, uh-huh. and Gus re- reminiscing on everything that had just happened in the growl tiger scene. I uh, just threw the go of the costume on and came back out as Gus. Mm. Uh, and um, on, that, on one particular night, my foot hit a, a strut, Oof. a piece of weight coming down. And, um, you know, it was immediately excru- excruciatingly painful. Uh-huh. So, uh, so to return as Gus, I limped out as before, but on a different foot, Okay. it was, you know, I, I, I imagine no one in the audience noticed at that point But I was, <laughs> Damn, yeah, I'm so, I'm limping on the other foot. Of course it um, couldn't
1: have been the right foot. Of course. Uh,
0: right. Needless to say. Um, and I wasn't, not only was, I mean, I couldn't finish the, I couldn't come out for my curtain call. Right. Basically, I was, I couldn't walk. I was hopping. They took me to a hospital afterwards and I was out of the show for two weeks. So I saw my, my standby. Okay. My understudy go on in my role. And so I actually got to sit out, you know, front row of the mezzanine mm. and I think it's a, a Saturday matinee or other well, The first time that I was off crutches. Okay. Um, Cause I was on crutches for 10 days and then couldn't, I, I was out of the show for three weeks Wow, altogether. I think, Wow, um, you know, because I'm very wisely the, the, PSM said, "Listen, uh, don't come back the, until you're absolutely ready, because you don't, we don't want you to inj- injure yourself, injure your foot again. Right? Until you're really, really set to come back. So don't hurry. Mm-hmm. And I'd never mm-hmm. been out of a show um, because of an, an injury before, so it was an amazing experience. Just I'll get, talk about Lemmy Adam. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to get back on stage at a certain point. You know, I couldn't wait for my foot to heal up well enough." And um, but in the meantime, to be actually be able to sit out and watch it um, with all of my fellow cast members and say, oh, so that's how it looks from the front. It was really it was kind of amazing, a, pr- a privilege um, mm-hmm. to see how the number work. Um, yeah. and uh...
1: So you got to create this role with some huge names, Andrew Ludweber, Dame Jillian Lynn, and of course, with Trevor Nunn, who you were already a big admirer of after Mm. Nicholas Nickleby. Was there ever uh, a moment either with Growl Tiger's Last Stand or just generally in the rehearsal room, was there ever a moment when you or other actors were feeling like, come on, guys, these are cats. Like, we, we can't be treating this like Nicholas Nickleby. We can't be treating this like Shakespeare. They're just uh-huh. cats. Was that ever a thought that was coming into your mind?
0: You know, I don't think so. Mainly because, uh, I mean, one of the th- unusual things about the rehearsal process for cats was we had a solid week of impro- of cat improvs. Hmm. There was an absolutely nowhere. Well, I mean, cats doesn't really have a book. There's maybe a few spoken lines here and there but most for the most part it's sung through mm-hmm. um as which is what you know what when, when andrew likes basically his shows have always been primarily pretty much sung through um so but we didn't ever do any staging of the of the numbers as such we did there was a lot there was music rehearsal um in the afternoons and the mornings were just cat improvs literally doing stuff of, of, of uh what would a cat, you know, how do you, first of all, you know, who are you as a cat? Mm. What, 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 you know, and at that point I had never lived with a cat. So okay. it, was kind of, it was kind of interesting to come start making things out of whole cloth. Uh, now I've lived for 16 years, you know, with a, with a cat who's is, is, is certainly my guru, you know, <laughs> I learned lots of things, but she hadn't been around at the time. Okay. So um, because, because we spent, you know, because we didn't try to translate, from personal experience into the script of the show, it was all, let's just pretend we're cats for, for a, um, every morning for a week. Mm. And what would that be like? I mean, what is it like, you know, what does the floor look like to a cat? As you know, To somebody who's like to spend all the time just a few inches from it, right? right. Uh, and you never, you don't think about that, but yes, what would, what would it be like to actually always be just a few inches from whatever it is you're walking on to be that small? To have the rest of the world be so large. It was, um, and we did a lot of just pure nonverbal improv Mm. like that for a a solid week. And I think that by a certain point, well, classics story that I I visited one day after her I went to visit a friend of mine who has three cats Uh typically. Um, And I was in her apartment and her cat started kind of like rubbing up against me. And literally I had just come from rehearsal. This uh-huh. cat's like rubbing up against me in this very curious way. Now I had been visiting, you know, this friend for years, and this had never happened before. And she looked at me, and she said, she said, Don't you think the cat's acting kind of funny? And I said, Yeah, actually, what's this? And she said, Well, that's the way this cat always acts when it's around somebody who's been near another cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Come on. And she said, seriously, I mean you're putting you're putting out some kind of cat vibe that her cat, Peaches, uh-huh. was picking up. <laughs> and that just struck me as on the one hand, amazing. And on the mm-hmm. other, yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, sure. Sure. Yeah. Figured. I mean, because that's I've spent the day trying to explore that that reality. Mm. And I guess something was was actually was bleaching
1: through. He just saw her truth in you. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah you know it was right there and it was so it, it you know that's why as I said, from time to time, you need a reminder from Trevor for like, oh, you can't really do that gesture. Mm. It's too, it's too human for this when we're really beginning to believe that you are this old cat. Mm. I mean one of the things that's very helpful with, with Gus the theater cat, with this, the the Eliot poem to begin oh. with, and then the, the wonderful tune that Andrew wrote for it, that just kind of slowly unwinding melody, um, that very—it's it, so much about recollection. I don't want to say memory because I, a, there's a different song. Talking, yeah, oh yeah. Some talk about that, but there is yeah this this sense of recollection that he has that I, I thought from the beginning. Oh, I've known people like that. I've known old guys, you know, who, who weren't even in the theater, you know, saying, oh, the good old days when, mm. boy, when, you know, when, man, when Catherine Cornell and Helen Hayes were on stage. Wow, <laughs> that was, you know, those were the days. And But so many old, old-timers talk about, oh, yeah, that was the day when so-and-so was president or so-and-so was the head of my club. Or, you know, it's such a human, universal thing mm. that it became actually very easy to translate it into, well, what what kind of you know a, a cat lives with a with a human being you know or has, po- cats you know reach a ripe old age. Our cat, for example, is twenty two. Wow, she's, she's she's really amazing as she's out there. Wow. Um, and yeah, to think of and she's great. She's in perfect health. Never been to the doctor. Not good. Mm. Um, it was you know e- easy to think. Oh, yeah, I can see how a cat would have a mem- would be able to. If it could, it could only make up words, you know, mm. if you could just translate the experience of being able to make the sounds that you make from your throat are not words, but they're, they're expressing something. Mm. Um, then, you be, you know, then you begin to say, well, maybe even though I'm speaking English words, what I'm actually expressing is an emotion that could be translated in any language, you know, into any language because people recognize their pet recognized that animals oh. have an interior life and as I well think, I mean, you know one one of the things one of the great successes of the show is that how successfully it's played in other languages
1: because i think that t.s Eliot's poems for anyone who has cats anyone who lives with cats anyone who loves cats they are so accurate you know we recognize these characters we see little moments like i know cats that i had growing up they would have moments and we'd say oh like skimble shanks or like rum tum tugger but then there's this added layer with gus the theater cat that it really does sort of like you were mentioning it's this love letter not only to this feeble old cat who we can't help but love but it is this love letter to the theater to this art form, to this industry. Um, and there's something so beautiful. And I think you're absolutely correct that Andrew Lloyd Webber's melody for that song does absolutely nothing but add to what's already there in that poem.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've had the occasion a lot of, several times. Um, you know, if somebody wanted me to come and do a solo, you know, perform a little, you know, one number in a, in, a, in a composite show that a whole bunch, you know, people are doing. Um, and I, so I've, I've done Gus the Theater Cat as a solo where, where the, the, the initial verse, which is actually sung by Jelly Loram introducing Gus mm. uh, before Gus himself actually starts to sing in the second verse. Mm-hmm. But you can very easily do that number just just your, sing yourself about, mm. first I'm going to tell you who Gus the Theater Cat is in the intro, and then I'm gonna be him. And you just, it's very easy to do it. That's I mean, I've done it so many times Mm. that I've, uh, and it always goes so well. It's always, it's a surprise to me that more people don't just do Gus the theater cap, you know, Mm. when they have to do a Lloyd Webber song because it's a beautiful number. It's got a tremendous uh, emotional range. There's, you know, to explore the character is, uh, uh, you can put a lot of stuff over um, it's joyous it's funny it's it's touching you know it has a lot of ones and it just surprises me that it, it, I think because it's not set up in the show as a solo that people don't think of it as a number that you can excerpt for example you know in your club act right but it's a beautiful you know it's absolutely gorgeous um, oh absolutely you know, yeah people hear it you know are always very touched by it and I think yeah I'm surprised that you know more people don't do it. But the other part is you have, to, you know, here I am. I'm old enough to actually be him. Would you I, you, know, 40 would years you ever do ago, the role again? Forty years ago, I was playing somebody. I couldn't run around that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for Growl Tiger. But of course, you know, now that they, now they cut Growl Tiger, they don't include it anymore. Mm-hmm. It was not in the, in the Broadway revival. Right. Um, they saved a lot of money by not having to build that pirate <laughs> ship set, let alone have it have the the the, uh, the the logistics that actually bring it down, mm. um, you know, to make the whole back wall come in as it did in on Broadway. Um, you know, that was that was a tremendous um, uh, tremendous technical problem that they had to solve. Mm. Um, and so they, but they eliminated it, and they also eliminated it because um, it's a hard number to pull off. Mm-hmm. Uh, if and if you don't, if, if you don't have a sense, if you don't love opera. And a lot of people in musical theater don't. I think you know that's maybe been a problem for some of the people that have played the part subsequently, is they don't understand that Growl Tiger is a parody of operatic style, of, of grand opera, you know, over the top. Let me show you what this emotion is. Times seven. You know, because. because the music has invited me to do that, and the joke on Gus or the is that this actor playing Growl Tiger is just terrible. <laughs> he but he thinks he's great, so it was a spoof of, of um, in not just a certain kind of acting style, but of an individual of a certain kind of actor who thinks. Um, I am really the best thing on this stage and the best thing that has ever been on this stage. And every move I make is just so good. I love it myself. How can you help with loving how wonderful I am? You know, and to be willing to to mock yourself in that way, I think, uh, you know, and I was told this by some of the casting directors who saw other versions of the show over the years. Mm. And I said, well, they didn't have the time to really work with the way that you and Trevor Created a parody not to have a certain style, but of a certain kind of actor. Mm. But of this, and um, if you, you know, that didn't, if that doesn't come across, the audience doesn't understand why they're there. The joke is that Grout is that old Gus is looking back on his career, a highlight of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I as I today might look back on the role, you know, for which I got a Tony nomination. Right, right. Now that that was now my dear friend. That was here, <laughs> you know, so be this old fart basically. And um, uh, it's, it's th- there was a lot of complexity that I think over time. You know, as people just kind of ran. Also, in general, the the thing that was very important about the work we did with cats in that first week was there was a sense of telepathy on stage mm. that was extraordinary. I mean, you really kind of knew what everybody else was thinking and doing because we had worked together so well. And once, once the original cast dispersed after the first, say, year and a half on Broadway, um, the new actors coming into it never had the opportunity to do that kind of exploration. Okay. So, you know, as with any musical, you know, any right. show, a long run show. And then, you know, you, the stage manager puts you in. I mean, the same thing happened to me a couple of years later when they put me into Les Mis in London. Okay. And it was like, I wasn't I wasn't invited to explore and say, here, here, here's what you can discover with. Here's some things about Tenardier that maybe I could, would invent. No, it was like, you're going to play it the way Alan Armstrong played it. Right. Because you have this cue, and on this line, you pick up this prop. On this line, you pick up that prop. On that, you know, mm. um, I mean, the, the master the house number was the most difficult prop number I ever, <laughs> ever had to learn. And the hardest part was having to learn it to, to step into a show that for everybody else had already been playing for a year. Mm. And that's what happened when anybody else came in to uh, be played a later role in the subsequent subsequent year or subsequent production of cats the same thing happened to them that happened to me you know it's like i don't really i don't have a lot of time here to develop the telepathy with everybody else on stage i'm just kind of learning their names
1: right we um for those listeners who are interested we are chatting with in a later episode susan russell who was a long time replacement in (sighs) phantom of the opera Um, She wrote her chapter for the book. So she's she exactly hits on some of the frustrations, some of the shortcomings that you are talking about coming into these mega hits as a replacement versus this kind of care and all these different nuances you can bring when you are creating the role that becomes the long running mega hit that we recognize the images from immediately.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You can't really, you know, if you're replacing someone, you can't really try stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, eventually maybe the director or the stage manager, whoever is in charge at that point will, you know, will say, could I, you know, I mean, if slight, obviously slight adjustments are made all the time, hmm. um, as, as, you know, the creative role will make, will make adjustments over the course of a year um, as well, let alone when someone comes in and has to replace. Um But it's it's uh, yeah it's very it's a very it's uh, but there's so many things that you don't even imagine until you're in a huge mega hit like this. Mm. I remember um, when when Pirates was first at the Delacorte. If I can skip to a previous show, go for it. um, But I I shared the dressing room with George Rose, and at some point in the course of the summer of 1982, they had they announced that they were going to move to Broadway, and there was no question it was going to run. For a while i mean there's already such a demand right. i remember george george rose uh, turned to me and said steve have you um, have you ever been in a long run and i said no and he said well that's something you're going to have to learn how to do and the only way you can learn is by being in one hmm. Said, and learning you know the whole question of how do you keep it fresh week after week after week after week and you know and then month after month after month um, how do you keep finding new things? How do you know uh, that's the stuff that, uh, or, or, or you know, how do you keep from just getting bored and walking through it?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it was amazing to watch I mean, with somebody like George Rose, who had done God knows how many long runs in the course of his career at that point, and many more to come after 1980. But just watching uh, the, diff- the, the, the the very fine calibration between. Um, having something technically set so perfectly that, you know, yes, this, this, this kind of, this inflection will make this line get this kind of
1: laugh.
0: Mm. You know, I'm the stuff that you just know that you could repeat technically flawlessly day after day and performance after performance and make it look fresh and find the stuff that's inside that, that actually, that even to a cast member, will look fresh, which is marvelous. I mean, that was the thing about watching real, you know, experts um, like George, like like um, uh, Kevin Kline mm. doing, which, you know. Do, yeah, with yeah, Gilbert and Sullivan, Sullivan it's a know, science. Yeah, great bravura, and at the same time, keeping it fresh. Um, and then for me, it was just at a certain point, and I have to admit, it was several, um, after the Tonys had come and gone, mm-hmm. Um, that's when it began to seem like punching the clock. It's like, okay, oh, really? and from yes. And, you know, there were, I have to say that, like, having seen uh, numerous productions and, and the same the Broadway production over a period of nine and 18 years, eventually, mm. there was, you know, a performer like, like Marlena Danielle, who just who was in the show for the entire run. You know, she started out as 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 the mother of a of a toddler, and put him through college. Wow! In the course in the course of her, you know, and bought a house, and you know, had all these wonderful things. And she was electrifying. I mean, when I talk, when I think of actors managing to do a long run, Mm -hmm. great with gusto and zest and being able to keep doing it, she's the first person I think of because she did. I mean, she really did this thing for eighteen years and and every performance that i ever saw of her was as electrifying and fresh as if it was you know opening night wow and i thought that is a skill that's really something and uh hats off to any actor who can do that so how long did you stay with cats i stayed for uh 15 months 15 months
1: okay and would you say after the show had opened and you're running were the creative team were they still very much involved, or was it more hands off for Trevor Nunn and Julian Lynn?
0: It was it was hands off, except for I mean they would show up in the cave for brush up rehearsals. Okay, occasionally, um, maybe, um, maybe the f- after the first few months. And I know I mean there was a lot of brush- brushing up once the Tonys were not were announced. Okay. Um, you know, the, everybody came back, Stanley uh, Lebowski, the, the music, the original music director who had long stopped conducting the show. Mm. but He was back. You know, Andrew was back. Everybody, everybody came back. Trevor and Jillian. Um, we're all, you know, I mean, we, we rehearsed as much as, as much during the day as I think as, as as equity would permit. Wow. To during the course of an actual running of a show. You know, there's only so many hours you can actually rehearse, and while the show is playing, mm-hmm. um, and whatever it was, though they had us do that, <laughs> and they were just—I mean—they were polishing and they were scrubbing, and you know, Trevor had this, and um, uh, but that's—and then you know, then the tones were announced, and and uh, however many they won, seven or eight, for you know, mm-hmm. and then it, they all tended to disappear for a while. Okay. Um, uh, then, so let's see. That was that would have been June, and I stayed with it until till uh, New Year's Eve of that oh, same wow. year. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was about fifteen months altogether.
1: Okay. And then, were you going directly to another performance? Or I was taking- actually.
0: I was. I was, uh, which was very nice, nice mm-hmm. indeed. But it was the exact opposite of experience because it was the the, the nineteen eighty four broadway revival of oliver oh with patty lupone and ron moody and that closed in two weeks oh wow so i yeah and i had been i was actually in a nice position because i was not i was not understudying i was a standby i was literally hired as a standby to ron moody okay uh i thought that way i always wanted to play fagan yeah of course that'd be fun uh and um but I never got to do anything more than have one understudy rehearsal. Wow. So as, but what was interesting is as, as a standby, I was not rehearsing. I would just come to rehearsals and watch everybody. Hmm. Cause all I had, you know, I was a standby as somebody who's available to go on. If the stars, if the star misses mm-hmm. pretty much, um, you know understudies and swings are usually in the show and they just move up to a different role. Uh-huh. But if you're a standby, all you have to do is, you know, is have your, uh, well, of course, they didn't have smartphones then. But back in the day, you know, they call if the theater called up at 10 of 8 and they say, well, um, Ron's going to be on tonight. You can, you know, stay home. You can, okay. Or, uh, be where we can, you know, if, he, if we have to switch casts at intermission, be available. And that was it, basically. So, but I got to watch rehearsals of a Broadway revival. Wow. Um, but a classic Broadway show, for that matter, you know, mm. just as a stand, just watching, just observing, just watching the dynamic rather than being in it. And that was one that was a great learning experience. Mm. Um, way more than any than the the actually one one single rehearsal I ever got <laughs> to actually play Fagan on the stage of the of the Mark Hellinger Theater with all of the other understudies. And, and I don't think there was another standby. Um but, you know, the, the replacement cast was, had one rehearsal and then the, the show closed. You know, I mean, the reviews were just really, really bad.
1: Really? Okay. Um, yeah.
0: Which is a shame because, you know, I love the show. Oh, um, it's a great show. But I must, you know, I really, I think the movie is in many ways an improvement. Yeah. Uh, on the stage show. The movie comes, come up with um, just to have a dramatic reason to do Oompa papa rather than open the second act with a great number. I mean, no mm. question. Okay, I see but what in you're the movie, saying. Yeah. You know, it's like so. You know, it's wonderful that they have time, that they can work stuff like that out. Um, but for me, the great experience was, you know, all right, I'm mean, going from one show to the next, mm-hmm. and you know, a great part, you know, one some, one of these oh, nights, was going to say the role of Ron, the role of Fagin, usually played by Ron Moody, I was like, ooh, but that, of course, never happened. So that's showbiz. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like you go from a show, you leave a show that's eighteen years later is still running, mm-hmm. um, to do a show that closes in two weeks. Wow. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, but
1: like, you got to see Ron Moody.
0: Great. <laughs> and, and Patty LuPone, and you know, wow. yeah.
1: Wow. So let's sort of as we're winding up just a little bit, I would love to personally hear a little bit about what it was like uh, to do Captain Hook opposite Kathy Rigby.
0: Oh, well, it was wonderful. Um, it was really a great experience. Um, first of all, she was sensational. She was, uh, you know, um, she really seemed like, I, mean, I remember even, you know, as seeing the broad the TV show when I was a kid, this first one, Mary Martin and Cyril oh, Reggaard. Right. You no, know, which I think they used to, so at some point they showed it every year. Wow. For a while there anyway. And, you know, so I know the story of course, and you did from that and, and um, but I, I never for a moment believed that Mary Martin was a boy. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's Mary Martin. I mean, you, you know, you yeah. know this. Um, the thing, what's marvelous about Kathy was that she really, um, she really worked, first of all, I mean, she, had these, she has these incredible thighs. Really, <laughs> I mean Olympic. You know, and she's oh. just in great physical shape. She, um the guys from from Flying by Foy, who worked on the show, because we we played thirty one cities across the country before we came to Broadway, wow. which itself was another wonderful experience, learning how to tour. Um, but the guys from the Flying Boy Flying by Foy said, um no one has ever flown the way Kathy did. I mean, she did spins and somersaults in the air. I mean, she was. Fearless, you know, and, and quite and tremendously impressive and had a beautiful singing voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was so generous. Now, the, the, the interesting thing for me was from the get go, um, the directors and the producers said, All right, we're don't play it like Cyril Richard okay. uh, the, or the way that other people have played it because this is we're doing a Peter Pan for generations of kids who have seen. Uh, Star Wars and who know who Darth, Darth Vader is Oh, and they said you know you should be that scary Captain and I thought that's great because all the times that I'd seen it with, uh, with Cyril Richard and stuff you know it just always it like he doesn't scare me for a minute he's a like, little
1: parasol he didn't scare you a little bit
0: Oh, <laughs> eh, no, yeah right I mean you know he's just so Nelly <laughs> right. not to put too fine a point on it and I thought well that's you know I why can't Captain Hook be frightening and they said that's what they encouraged mm. and and so i was able to really approach the role and then you start asking questions like why is he so scary what's wrong with this guy and at, you know at that point i had already done tenardier so i have made kind of transfer from one to another of all right here's another character who's not at all like me there is uh like i you know i'm uh, the Tenardier is somebody who, the minute he sees any new person, his eyes just turn into a little cash register. You know, how much money can I make over this one? And that's so not like me. But I thought, that's interesting. What made, how did Tenardier grow up to be like this? And the question that came in the same way with Captain Hook was, why is he so awful? And I realized, I recognized how lonely he is because he's a guy the key to Captain Hook for me is uh, the James Barry play, the stage direction says he is never more sinister than when he is most polite. Mm. And I thought that's the key. Okay. That's what I'm going. That's, that's my, that's Captain Hook for me. But the, the politeness is p- totally sinister because he is a guy who thinks that everybody is beneath his social class. Mm. Everybody even the king, if it came to you know, if I had to actually admit it, I would say yes. Yeah. Well, you know, he's okay, but <laughs> older. My family's older. Wow. No, so, so, so to me, there was Captain Hook had this great incapacity to relate to anybody because he saw them all as inferiors socially, mm. and so you rather than just thinking, okay, so he's a bad guy. You know, it's like, all right, what's what's it like to be that person? What is it like to think that everybody is your social inferior? Mm. And God knows, I've worked with some people in the theater <laughs> who can fit that to the description <laughs> without naming names. Can you imagine? Um, yeah. In fact, I'm sure we have all met people like that, whether we're working in the theater or not. Mm. You know, there are people who are like that, and um, to 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 explore that, and you know, so I was given a lot of freedom. Because we had a nice rehearsal press process before we started. I think we opened in Boston. Yes. Uh, late 89, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of time to develop stuff like that and then to, to keep to keep at it. Um, because we, you know, we moved from city to city and that changed the structure of the set in some ways. And so things were always shifting around which is interesting about touring but on, on you know through that was like, okay how do i stick all these different changes but the through line is um nobody's good enough for me and that mm-hmm. to me makes you know there's something very tragic about that if you can if you can hold on to the still the you know that is still a show essentially for kids mm-hmm. and for for you know adults with a kid-like mentality mm-hmm. and a good strong imagination um, adults who are willing to clap for Tinker Bell, right, you know, if you will, but also need to be able to recognize that Captain Hook isn't just uh, a cartoon character, but somebody who, and especially in the in the you know in the original writing by James Barry in the original play, um, is a comment on the British class system. He's an example of the British class system. And, and you know why? He's always overdressed. He's, you know, and, and in all productions, he always is. A, uh, you know, it's not just because somebody, you know, the original Captain Hook wanted an elaborate costume. and pirate right. They're telling you something about this guy. He is always overdressed. He never mm. relaxes. And um, to say the least, you know. Right. So it was, uh, you know, and, and Kathy was so open because she was always exploring stuff. And at the time, her oldest boy, was maybe in his early teens okay i'm not sure he's now you know i mean he he's made her a grandmother times over wow. but at the time she was kind of basing captain hook on her peter pan on mm-hmm. um, um on her kids wow and so she, i was ready you know i would watch their interactions and say oh yeah she picked that gesture up um from x y or z you know i fi- uh, i'm not remembering their names even. That's okay, um, but anyway, yeah. I mean, from whichever, she would like to say, "Oh yeah, I've seen him do that," and and that's so she was very serious about it, and, mm-hmm. and encouraged all the rest of us. You know, I mean, so many things in the show stems from the star. Um, it all flows from the star, as as in, boy, um, well, in Pirates of Penzance working with Linda Ronstadt. I mean, that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful human being. Really, that's so good to hear. In, in every respect, yeah. I mean, I feel I feel for her now so much, knowing what she's going through, mm-hmm. because um, with uh, you know her illness, because she's um, she was an example of what a great star should be like. You mm-hmm. know, friendly, no ego, uh, very very much uh, and humble about the nature of her ga- her gift. Hmm. You know, I mean, Linda, I heard her say so many times, oh, you know, my voice is really a gift from God. It's my job to maintain it. And Mm. she was great about that. And so she was, you know, they can can be really inspiring. And Kathy was too. That's great. Um, Yeah, it was a terrific experience.
1: I'm a a little bit curious, because now with multiple different roles, you've mentioned gestures. You've mentioned like specific movements, either, you know, Kathy Rigby borrowing from her young sons or picking up things from cats specifically, or Mm. even to sort of the very visual way you were kind of describing what happens to to Nadia's eyes when he sees someone. (laughs) Would you say is that physicalization of a role? Is that a way that you get into your different characters?
0: Wow, this um, I'm you know maybe immediately I want to say yes. Okay, um, you know, and then there's part of me thinking, all right now, I, how consistent is that? What do I want to like? Do mm. I want to like yes, but with a masterist, uh, <laughs> You know, um, yeah, I think for me, it's very important to find the physical, the the physical aspects of a role, um, but it comes with the you know at the same time you do have to think about the the inner life. Um, I don't know if i put one thing first it's mm. interesting it's some. I, I recently read somebody um an, an interview that someone had in which steven someone asked steven sondheim what comes first the lyrics or the music mm. because i'm sure he had a question that he was asked numerous times right um but his answer was he said it really kind of like they, they feed on each other one one me and that made immediate sense to me mm. um not just because in my own time I've also written songs and the and I say oh yeah I recognize that, mm-hmm. but I also recognize yes as an actor it's 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 very similar between finding the inner life locating you know the the, the emotional stuff as deep as you can get it mm. you know the sort of, you know which so frequently comes down to a question of how did I how did I get hurt mm. how did I get how did I J- James Hook. Um, or to, as the case may be of the character, how do, what, what hurt made me into this person that I am? And then what happened, you know, what, what moments of love opened me up to something that my heart could really understand what, what, what intimacy would be like? All of those things, while at the same time, I mean, it just immediately happens in your body as well, for me, mm. you know, I think about reaching out, reaching out to, or, or pushing away from somebody that I'm afraid of. Or something that's uh, you know, going for a moment. That like, when was I hurt, and what was that like? Um, at the same time that I'm emotionally trying to re bring that back to life in my in my consciousness, my hands. You know, I'm already making a gesture of gay, right. right. Okay, there's something. So I think they they work together, and and the uh, one interesting discipline for an actor is to learn how to sort them out. How to go, okay, that was a physical, that was a gesture, that was the emotion. Um, if I, let's see, is there is there, does that same emotion offer a different choice? Mm-hmm. As for example, in the case of Cat, where it's like, well, you you don't wanna do a gesture that is very distinctly human. Right. So it's like, oh, find something else. So that'll be where the emotion then asks you to look in, the, in different directions for the physical gesture. But the other, the other, sometimes the opposite also happens. Sometimes, you know, I'll come up with the gesture, you know, pounding the table or something, just whatever is going forceful. And mm-hmm. there's a piece of the mind that you got to go, oh, that was good. I got to keep that. You mm-hmm. know, at the same time that you're emotionally committed in every way to what you have just done, there is a part of you that just is the witness in rehearsal. And ha- sometimes it even happens during performance on stage. Yeah, you'll find some new thing and be able to go, well, I'm still in the scene. I'm still playing with my partner. I'm still, you know, like totally. But, but oh, I like that new one. I, I think I'll keep that. I'll mm. try that again. Um, so it's the, the fun. One of the fun things of acting is, is, you know, that you work on so many levels of your mind at the same time. Mm. Uh, but it's just learning which one is which is which. Which one? How to sort okay. them out, yeah. You know? <laughs> but maybe that's maybe that's another reason that I that I wrote a journal, that I kept a diary of that in the case of cats, because it was like, so I was making so many discoveries myself. It was important to write them down because I wouldn't have been able to hold on to all of them. Right. Um, And I didn't, you know, it's looking back on it during the course when the show was in rehearsal, I did from time to time um, reread some of my previous pages Mm -hmm. to try to figure out, oh, no, yeah, what was I doing in this scene? Oh, yeah, there was something three days ago that that really worked and what was that? Because I maybe mm, did I lose it? I think I lost it. What was it? And then you can go find it. Uh, so, in that case, I was very lucky. I've never done it since. I haven't, but no other show have I ever uh, kept a diary.
1: That's wow. I, I want to highly recommend for listeners if you are interested in cats, if you are interested in this sort of collaborative performance process, I'm going to highly recommend. Cats Diary by Stephen Mohannon. It's a fabulous book. Stephen, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
0: It's my pleasure.
1: I really enjoyed it, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much, listeners, for being with us. Please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 Key Stage Musicals by visiting Routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. If you want to learn more about Cats, please also review the links in the below description. I am Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast.